and uh, good morning and welcome to you all. Some of the most profound words that are uttered come from people who are at a state of farewell parting and saying goodbye. Think of it. Um, Leaders who are leaving X number of terms in politics. Sports figures who are retiring and they make that uh, announcement and they share some thoughts. Um, Students who are graduating and heading off, moving on. People who've left their country of origin and gone a half a world away. I suppose uh, saying goodbye to family members. But some of the most meaningful farewells that I think most poignant have been those farewells are that when people are facing death and they know it and they share some very important things that they want to speak into the lives of those whom they love. If you were facing your death, whom would you want to speak to? And what would you want to convey? What would you want to tell them if you were facing your own demise? What would your message be? What would you wish to communicate to others? Well, the Bible has quite a number of farewell uh, discourses and speeches in the Bible from the patriarchs when they knew they were going to die, gathering their children together and speaking blessing or warnings uh, from kings, David to Solomon, when he was getting old and was going to turn over the throne to his son. He had a lot of things that he wanted to communicate. From the prophets to the apostles, we have in in 2 Timothy 4, we've got Paul speaking to Timothy, a farewell uh, part in his discourse. But I think about the most important farewell speech that was made was made by Jesus. Just hours before he would go to the cross, He would assemble his disciples with him to celebrate the Passover. They didn't know what was going to happen in this time. They didn't understand, in spite of his repeated uh, telling them previously what was going to happen. Um, Here they were, and Jesus is sitting with them. And and John 13, 1 says that, you know, that Jesus knew the time had come for him to go. That it was his hour, that he was going to go to the cross that he was going to be leaving his disciples after three and a half years spent with them. So he got them together in an upper room. And what we have from the pen of the Apostle John is some material that occurs that we have nowhere else in the Bible. Jesus, farewell from John 13 to John 17. He gives his final words. And as you might imagine, these are words that will be weighty for for them. These are words that he gives them, having uh, poured his life into them and now preparing to leave them. And uh, we began this a couple of weeks back, and we looked at his message about serving each other. 
And we want to go a little further into this this morning. I want you to hear, I want you to hear a father speaking to his children. It says in verse 33 of John chapter 13, he says this, Little children, yet a little while and I'm with you, you'll seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I'm going you cannot come. Kids, I'm leaving you. Um, These were were tough words to hear. Uh, These were really difficult for them. This was a sad reality for them uh, because they had left their occupations. They had left their families. They had left their aspirations to tramps around uh, Israel to follow this rabbi, this teacher, to give themselves totally to him. And now here they are in this moment, and and they don't know how close this is. And he says, you know what? Children, kids, I'm going to be leaving you. And in light of that departure, what is the message that he had for them? And what is that message for us? Well, it was a message. It was a command to love each other. A command to love each other. In those final hours that he had with them, what he wanted to communicate to them was that he wanted them to love each other. Can you hear your parents? You know when they left you as kids at home, maybe it was an overnight, maybe it was for an evening, and they said, okay, kids, no fighting, right? We've all heard that, right? No fighting. And and here's Jesus talking to his group. And uh, we know that love is such an incredible theme that is woven through the whole scripture. Uh, And John, of anyone, picks up on this theme more than anyone. If you look through the number of times that the word love appears in John's writing, the Gospel of John, and there are three little letters at the near the very end of the Bible, full of references to love. Um, We have John, it's called the Gospel of Love. Uh, We have the most famous verse in all the Bible, comes in John's gospel, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. John is called the beloved disciple. Never gives his name in the whole book, just the disciple whom Jesus loved. There was something special between him and Jesus, and, and he gets that Uh, moniker, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And and people saw love in Jesus. I mean, here here is Lazarus. Jesus purposefully lets Lazarus die when he gets an SOS from the family. Come, hurry, and and, uh, you've got to, you've got to, uh, your friend is is, uh, not well. Jesus purposefully waits till he dies. Then he comes and he says, take me to the grave. And they go and they stand there. And Jesus looks at the pathos of that whole situation. He sees broken people and he wept. He poured out his heart in weeping. And you know what the people said? Oh, see how much he loved him? Can you see how much Jesus loved Lazarus? So this incredible theme woven through the scripture, but so focused on in the book of John. And uh, John is... uh, He's ready to leave now. Uh, or Jesus is ready to leave. And uh, on his mind is to call the disciples and talk to them and call them to love 
one another. In John 13, 34, Jesus says this, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. It comes as a command. A new command, he says, um, that we should love one another. In fact, we go forward a couple of chapters in John chapter 15. He says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Lord, we got that. You said it. You told us. New commandment. Love. No, my command is this. Love. And, and we go a few verses further. And he says this in John 15. 15. This is my command. Love each other. Do you get the message? Guys, guys, do you get it? I need to tell you something. I'm going to leave. Children, I'm going to leave. Love each other. Love each other. This is a new commandment. You say, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's not a new commandment. I mean, that goes back into the Old Testament. Right, right on. It does. It goes back uh, to Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. And, and that tells us, love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus would pick up on that when he was tested and said, what's the most important commandment in the whole of Scripture? Ah, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And the second is like it, love your neighbor. This isn't new. Love your neighbor. How about this? Jesus takes it to a whole other level. In in Matthew chapter uh, 5, Jesus says this. I want to tell you, love not just your neighbor, Love your enemy. What? Love your enemy. This doesn't sound new to us, this whole love thing. So how is this a new commandment? How can Jesus call this a new commandment? I want to suggest to you three ways. First, it's a new standard. It's a new standard. Um, Jesus made himself the standard. He says in John chapter 13, 34... A new command I give you, love one another. Okay, yeah. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. So here's the standard. What I want you to do, this is the new thing. I want you to love each other as I have loved you. That's the way I want you to love. It's interesting in in chapter uh, 13 and verse 1. We read it was just before the Passover feast. The whole start of this. Jesus knew the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he showed them the full extent of his love. He loved them to the, excuse me, he loved them to the end. Oh, what's he talking about? He's talking about going all the way. He's talking about going to the cross for them. He's talking about sacrificing his life for them. Now he says, they, they, don't, they don't understand this fully, but I want you to love each other as I have loved you. That's how he loved them. In fact, in John 15, and we sang that beautiful song, I am a friend of God. You realize we can't say, uh, you know, it's God who can befriend us. We can't befriend God. Yeah, I could say, um, I'm going to be buddies with Justin Trudeau. It ain't going to happen unless he extends that to me. So it is with God. Abraham was a friend of God. God made him 
God called him a friend. In, in John chapter 15, my commandment is this, love each other as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. So here's the difference. Here's, here's the standard. Here's the measure of the love that I want you to have for each other. I want you to love the way I love you. Uh, 1 John 3.16. You remember John 3.16? Let's do 1 John 3.16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. There's the new standard. That's the way we're supposed to love. And and that is so radical. Self-sacrificial, self-giving love. The kind of love that when Jesus came in and met with these guys and um, the custom would be that somebody would wash their feet and they didn't have any servant and none of those guys would dare uh, 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 break uh, convention or custom by washing each other's feet. That was so below them. And what does Jesus do? He gets down, takes off his, his outer cloak, takes a basin and begins to wash their dirty feet and they are, they're mortified that Jesus would be doing this. And he said, what did he say? Look, I've given you an example. What I've done for you, do for others. This is love. This is humble service for one another. This is self-sacrificial. And take it even to the point of death. That's the example that Jesus gave. It was a new standard, but also there's a new centrality to it. He wanted this to be... Um, to elevate this command. I'm giving you a new command, and I'm going to repeat it, and I'm going to repeat it, and I'm going to repeat it, because you guys are a little bit slow, and I want you to really get the idea that um, I want you to do this. And, and I'm going to make this commandment very special, and I'm going to set it apart, and I want you to really get it. It's, it's central to my program. It's central to my church and, and, and who I am. I want you to get the importance of this. It tops the list, the love that you have for each other. And uh, the next focus, the last focus in this, it's new. It had a community focus. And this was different. So he says, um, we know we're supposed to love people in the world like Jesus did. As he loved, we're supposed to love them. But he's not talking about this here. Um, in, in fact, there was, there was a group by the Dead Sea called the Qumran community. And, and they, were, they were a tight-knit community. And they, they said, love each other and hate outsiders. And that didn't fly, you know, it wouldn't fly with Jesus. Because, I mean, he said even love your enemies. But this was special. This wasn't just loving the community. This wasn't just loving your, your national um, uh, fellow, uh, fellow uh, citizens. This is loving fellow believers in the church. And this was a new focus uh, for him, that we were to love each other. That the heart of this love that he's talking about is the love that you and I have for each other, that, that we as believers have. Well, you know, I mean, I suppose the question is, do we really need this commandment? Um, the, the need for this commandment, uh, let, me, let me say this. Jesus was the unifying factor in their group. He was the referee. He was the guy that kept everybody together. Um, you know, I, I know of a family, and the, the family used to be together on all special occasions. Every Christmas they were together. Uh, Easter they were together. They had 
they had times of uh, family reunions and what. And the mom and the dad eventually died. And you know what? They weren't getting together anymore. They didn't get together at Christmas. Everybody kind of went their own way and did their own thing. There wasn't the cohesion. There wasn't the togetherness of the family. And Jesus knew that if he died, this thing could splinter and, and, and they, could, uh, they could, you know, kind of go their own ways. They, they might not be whom they should be. And, and so when you look at Jesus' relationship with them, he had problems with these guys. They, they, didn't, they didn't get it. You look at their relationship, um, and, and John is the disciple of what? Of love. The beloved disciple, the, the, the gospel of love. And, and I'll just look at John for a second. He came from a well-to-do home. He came from a moneyed home. He came, they had a, a good business. He had connections in Jerusalem so that he could, even at Easter, he could get into the high priest court. Um, they were movers and shakers. Um, and, and he and his brother James, though, um, had a reputation for being, well, kind of bullish. You know what they were called? The sons of thunder, James and John. Ooh, they would come through, you know, like a bull in a china shop. It was their way, and they were, they were aggressive, and, um, and this was them, self-seeking. They could be harsh. So Jesus in Luke chapter 9 is going from uh, northern uh, to southern uh, uh, um, Israel, and they went through Samaria, and Jesus sent somebody ahead to make plans to receive him there. And they said, no, you're going to, you're going to uh, Jerusalem. You, you can't stay here. You know, James and John said, let's pray for these people, these poor people. No, they didn't say that. They said, uh, Lord, do you want that we would call fire down from heaven and scorch all these people and, and kill them? Yeah, that would be the loving thing to do, I think. That, let's, let's go for that one. This is the same James and John. Uh, this is James and John who call Jesus aside and say, Jesus, now James and I have got a plan for you. You know, when you establish your kingdom and you're ruling the world, okay, we've got this. One is on your right, one is on the left, right? We'll be in those places of prominence. In fact, in one of the other versions, we find out, you know what? Um, mom was in on it too. Mom is going, because this is an aggressive family. Jesus, the boys, the good boys, fine boys. Oy vey, yeah, they cause trouble sometimes, but in, can, they, can they be one of your right one? Your, yeah, they don't, you don't know what you're asking. Yeah, they, Jesus is leaving the church to these people. You know what happens is, as he's preparing for the Lord's table, for, for the Last Supper. You know, you know what there? Luke 22 tells us that the disciples were fighting and arguing and bickering about what? You know what? Who was greatest? Is this a message they needed? Yeah, I think so. I think this was really a message they needed um, themselves. And this group was diverse. I mean, you think of the group that Jesus chose. One guy is called Simon the Zealot. He's a freedom fighter. He's a guy who's going to overturn Rome, who hates Rome. You know who else God chose? Jesus chose to be there? Matthew, the tax collector. You couldn't find two personalities that would be so against each other than these two. 
And Jesus said, boys, we need to have a talk. And here's what I want you to do. I'm going to be gone very shortly, and you need to love one another. Guys, you need to love one another. Boys, love one another. What's the basis? What's the basis for this commandment? Uh, the basis for the commandment is, uh, is the uh, relationship of the Trinity. Now, I'm just going to touch on this very briefly for you. Our God is one. There's one God. But here's, here's the deal. Our God is a triune God. That means the one God is, is, uh, exists eternally in three co-equal persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God existing eternally in three co-equal persons who all have distinct roles. Now, I want you to know that God is a relational God. God is a relational God. And, and it, it says in 1 John four sixteen, it says this, God is love. Now, you can't be love existing for all of eternity as a God if there's nothing to love and no one to love. But God, had a, a, a God the Father, Son, and Spirit had a relationship of love. The essence of God is that he is love. And, and, and together, they had a loving relationship. Um, and, and Jesus, in, in John 14, uh, 31, says this. He comes to the world, the Holy Spirit comes to the, that, that uh, we may learn, that you may learn that I love the Father and I do exactly what my Father has commanded. Jesus said, you know what? In our relationship... I love the Father. In John 15, 9, it says the Father loves the Son. There's this mutual relationship of love between the two. There's this beautiful interaction between the three members of the Trinity where there is this dance of love where they are together and there's mutual love and unity. But in John 15, 10... It says this, Jesus said, if you keep my commandments, you'll remain in my love, just as I've kept my father's commandments and reign in his, and remain in his love. He invites us into that. He loves us and he calls us to love him and enter into that relationship of love with God, which is really incredible when you think about it. It's so incredible that that he invites us to be a part of that love. In his essence, he is love. And so it becomes for us that we, uh, it is a model of love and unity for us. What exists in God in his person becomes a model for us in our love. In John 17, 26, some of the last words when when he ends this whole thing, he's praying to the Father, he said, he says, Jesus says to the Father, I made you known to the disciples and I'll continue to make you known in order that the love that you have for me may be in them and that I, that I myself may be in them. They are together. 
there is this love and we're invited uh, to become a part of that. That, that, we, uh, th- that the whole model of the love that we have is the model that God has for himself. That love where the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are in perfect unity and harmony and love. And that's why Jesus in John 17, 11 could say these important words. He said, Holy Father, protect them. That's the disciples. By the power of your name that you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. So so what, what is the model of love and unity? It's God himself is the model. And he invites us into that. And that's why it's incredible that, you know, Matthew 5, Jesus says something really kind of uh, uh, tough to get our mind around. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. What's the model that we have for love? It's God himself, and we're called to be perfect as he is perfect. Is that a little bit tough to swallow? He calls us to that. But not only that, uh, that is, um, it is, becomes the motivation for obeying, loving others. What motivates us to have the kind of love that God wants us to have, that we would love like Jesus did in a self-sacrificial way? What motivates us to that kind of love, to obey God in that way? Well, um, it's God's love. Uh, God's love, our love for God, should be that which motivates us to obey. Now, here's the thing. We could say, in a certain sense, we prove our love for God in that we obey him, or we prove our love for Jesus in that we obey him. But that's not exactly how he says it. Look in in John 14, 23. Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. Now, there's a subtle difference that I want you to pick up here. It's not that we love God to get him on our side or obey God to get him on our side and make us love him. It's that our love for him is that which motivates us to do. See, if I make you love me by doing things for me, that's earning it. But he doesn't want us to work on earning it. He wants us to receive his love, live in his love, abide in his love. And that love motivates us to love others. What's the purpose of this commandment? Why does Jesus calling to this? Here it is. Um, First, he wants the identity of the church to be wrapped up in love. In John 13, 35... Jesus said this, by, every, uh, by this, by the love that you have for each other, everybody will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. He said, I, I, want, I want people to get this. I want them to understand that they can spot you a mile away because of the love that you believers have for one another. Jesus would identify his true followers in his church by love. Now, there are a lot of things that we could be identified by. You could say, well, you know, we can tell they're Christians because of the, 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 the way they pray and how much time and effort they give to prayer. Or, or it, it could be the holiness of their life. We know that they're followers of Jesus because of their holiness or their righteousness. 
It could be faithfulness. It could be their service to God. It could be their Bible knowledge. It could be the way they can articulate their faith. All of these things are good and positive. But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, I want people to be able to identify you as believers by this. The love you have for one another. He elevated that, made it central and important. And I want you to love with the same kind of love that I had. Self-sacrificial, that I was willing to give up my life for you. That I was willing to to lay aside my dignity, to wash your feet. that, That I did everything sacrificed everything for you. This is the spiritual litmus test for the church. Are you my followers? I'll tell you how we'll know. The love that you have for one another. He wanted to identify us in that way. How about our church? How about our church? Um, How about our interaction with one another? How about our attitude toward one another? How about how we respond? Um, and and God's, Jesus says, I want people to be able to tell that you're my followers by virtue of the love you have for one another. When guests come in here, when people come in here and, and maybe they, they don't understand the Christian faith, they don't, they don't know what it's all about, and maybe they're searching and, and they're looking and they're observing to see us. And to see how we respond to one another. Do they see the love of Christ in us? Because Jesus said, that's how I want to distinguish you. In our homes, do we see that? Uh, Quite a number of years ago, we went into a Christian camp and and, uh, we we had rented uh, one of these trailers at a Christian camp. And uh, this is a Christian camp, okay? Christian people go to the Christian camp, and the, and there was across from us. There was a family. You remember the, you remember the family? They were like, they were like the fighting family. Like they were always screaming at each other and throwing things, and and we kind of said, don't ever let us be the fighting family. But let me ask you, how you operate in your family? Kids to parents, parents to kids, siblings to one another. Would people look at your home and say, hey, this, these people are followers of Jesus. Look at how they love and care for each other. Look at, look at what they do for each other. Jesus said this is the spiritual litmus test. You know, and, and the second part of this is, is that um, the purpose of this is that we would show the witness of the church to the world. Jesus wanted to bear witness to the world by putting his people on display before them. Look it. You have to look very far to see how messed up our world is. Totally messed up. Um, For all the attempts that we have made um, to, to talk about love and justice, and, and we, even, we even put... Um, uh, laws in place to try and ensure that we're a civil, caring kind of uh, people. But it ain't happening. It, we're not there. And Jesus said, what I want to do is I want to show what my intention was 
for humanity. And here's what I want to do. I'm going to put you all on display that how you live together in community is going to show the world what my intention was. That when you love each other and care for each other and and reach out and help each other, they're going to see, man, there is something different about these people. And God says, that's my intention for the world, that they would have what you could have in the church. Now, much to our shame, we don't always see that. I know a brother-in-law of mine was in a church leadership that was going through a terrible time, and he would call me uh, the odd time for some counsel. And their church was so divided and torn apart, and they were shouting at each other and, and hurling insults, and, and they were rallying people to come to vote for and against things. And this was in a small town, and this leaked out. Everybody knew what was going on at this church. What a terrible, terrible witness to the person of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus said, I'm putting you on display and, and you can show the world what I wanted to do, what I meant. What a powerful witness when we can come together, when we can, and, and look at, it's so beautiful that we can be here, so many ethnicities that have come together, uh, so many people uh, from different places in the world, so many people who, who are, are on different places in the socioeconomic uh, stratus. Uh, people who are different educationally. People who, and yet we come together as one body to do what the, what the world can't do. Young and old and, and all put together into one body that is loving and caring. That's what God wanted. That's what Jesus called for. You know, the first three centuries were some of the toughest times for the church in, in terms of persecution. And, and when you look at the start of the church, right off the, right off the get-go, there were people like Barnabas who saw that there, that there were brothers and sisters who didn't have anything to eat. He sold some property, and they cared for each other. People, mm, wow, look at what these guys do. Um, you, you go on in, in history, and, and Rome is uh, the, uh, the church in Jerusalem is going through a terrible time. And so the churches take up a collection to send money to help them. And you get on into the third century, and, the, and there's Tertullian talking about Christians. And, and this, this uh, church father is, is relaying what's being said in the Roman Empire when, when they are killing Christians. And he, he says that... Um, He says this, that see how they love one another. They're even willing to die for each other. That's the church in all of its beauty. And Jesus is going away. And these are some of his last words to them. And he says, kids, love each other. I give you a new command. Love each other as I have loved you. By this will all people know that you're my followers because you love one another. Father, thank you for this challenging passage of Scripture. Thank you for what you're able to do in our hearts and lives as we surrender to you. Father, I pray that you would work in us. We may not even know the person we're sitting beside. We may have sat beside them for a year or two and don't even know their name. Father, help us to be mindful. Help us to look out from ourselves. Help us to reach out to others, to make ourselves known. 
Help us to pitch in and help where we can. May people see Christ in us and may that be a powerful witness to the gospel and the power of the gospel in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll call the ushers to come, uh, the, the servers to come as we sing.